Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. Trees is an enterprise cloud commerce platform that offers point of sale, dispensary inventory management, on-channel sales capabilities, and multiple cashless payment options. The company has raised $79 million to date, with the most recent round being a $51 million Series C led by Synchrony Ventures, Longridge Equity Partners, and Kane Anderson Capital Advisors. Interestingly, the company announced its post-money valuation at $260 million. Hey, thanks for uh, having me on, Day. Uh, Trees, it's a software company. Um, you know, what, what, what do we provide? We provide an enterprise cloud commerce platform. In short, essentially means we offer a point of sale solution, inventory management solution, uh, payment solutions, really the operating solutions for our retailers. That's our core customer. That's who we power. Uh, we've been doing that for the last six years. And then tell me more about your background and sort of, you know, the um, early days of, of Trees. Why six years ago did you decide to start up a POS solution in the cannabis space? For sure. Um, you know, six years ago, it's, it's one of those once in a generation type of, uh, of timing, luck, uh, an event. Uh, so it made the absolute sense. But let me just rewind a little bit in my personal background and how we, we got to here. Uh, in my teenage years, this is the mid '90s. Uh, I actually grew up in a small town called Reno, Nevada, um, and I was uh, fortunate enough to have some um, uh, grown up in some entrepreneurial uh, genes with my father owning a computer shop. Then, uh, and so in Reno, there's there's no big companies. There's all SMBs, all mom and pop stores. They're talking about uh, law offices, uh, dental offices, schools, maybe. And then the computer shop, I was learning how to sell, but really how to solution. 40s SMBs, because the moment you bought a four or five thousand dollar PC, what the hell do you do with it? Right. So what I grew enamored with is, oh gosh, you can really displace all these pen and paper manual processes that take you hours to reconcile to get people even in the door. Now you have networking, you have email, you have just general and much faster digital communications within um, all the PCs. I really grew enamored in that environment of helping SMBs and solutioning for SMBs. Um, that curiosity grew into uh, my first working uh, job or career uh, at Accenture uh, and then Swalwin, which are essentially technology consulting firms working for Fortune 500 companies. Um, I was, yeah, again, solutioning, but I was also learning that when you deal with large uh, customers in these Fortune 500 companies, they're dealing with dinosaurs, right? They have like 50 or 60 different systems. They don't talk to, to each other. Any project you spend time on really doesn't drive any outcomes. You just kind of come and go and just move on. I learned a lot. I didn't drive a lot of outcomes in those uh, in those gigs. So how do we get to, to trees and, and cannabis? Well, I took my lessons learned from the early days in helping SMBs. I took my lessons learned from uh, helping Fortune 500 companies building ERPs and business intelligence systems. Uh, and then I sat for an hour inside my co-founder's dispensary. He actually made me sit for an hour before I got to meet him. Um, and and was, just, that, was that uh, Sharif at, at Garden of Eden? That was uh, the, the acclaimed Sharif LCC. Uh, this is uh, this is still a very busy dispensary out in Hayward, California. I just remember waiting there for an hour. Um, got in, didn't even know I was in cannabis, right? Um, but I saw a hundred people waiting out the door. Um, every transaction took about two minutes. They had to scan their ID. What the hell was I getting into? But I learned that this is cannabis. This is essentially SMB, very high volume SMB, very niche market. 
um, but a market that's going to become a hundred billion dollar plus industry over time. And the actual federal illegality gave us uh, a little startup, uh, some moat to operate um, and operating we did over the last six years. And, and you know, I, I think it's helpful that you actually built this POS system with a co-founder who owns and runs a still very operational dispensary that, you know, uh, does double digit million in, in revenue. Um, how, how would you say, you know, that or other things that trees has sort of built uh, differentiates you from the competition? Yeah, completely. Um, first of all, it's purpose built from the ground up, right? This system back six years ago didn't exist. And a lot of these dispensaries, especially my co-founders dispensary ran on a hodgepodge of solutions. Some Microsoft uh, Access, Excel, QuickBooks, just piecing it together. Um, and back then, the MJ freeways and the BioTracks, they exist, but they didn't really cater to real problems and real volume problems, especially in the California market. You know, imagine uh, a dispensary the size of maybe only 700 square foot of effective retail space having to conduct at their peak about 2,000 customers a day. Right At the time I met my co-founder, it was about 400. And the reason it was 400 was because the lack of systems, they were tapped out. They could do more and evidently they did more, uh, but they required software to help them get customers in and out quickly into the point and operate, especially in, in today's climate, uh, a lot more efficiently. So we really, what differentiates us, we really focused on our core customer, which is the retailer. They have a lot of problems they have to tackle, some of it in, during growth periods, it's volume and it's a lot of customers and happy customers. Nowadays, it's about efficiency, right? It's about operations. It's about the bread and butter of running just traditional retail mirrored with all these nuances that comes with the cannabis space. So we took a very focused approach to our growth, stayed, uh, really tried and true in one state in California, got that right first, built that breadth and depth from not only Sharif's uh, view in his store, but all of these other stores that came along during those early days and built those foundational DNA back into the product before we expanded out into other markets. Yeah, no, that's a, a good transition uh, that I want to touch upon. So I, I think you guys only recently expanded to your first market outside of California, right? Um, and, and is that Massachusetts uh, that that's the first market? Uh, no, so we're in 13 states now. Um, oh, wow. To start okay. this year, we were in six. So we started in our origins in California, but we expanded out eventually into Arizona, Michigan, which are great markets for us. Before all these three states, we have a lot of deep penetration in. Um, but we finished a series raise earlier this year around April timeframe, uh, and we really uh, made good use of that capital. So now to end this year, we'll be in 13 different states. Massachusetts certainly is one of those states. Yeah, no, that's that's a more recent one. I, uh, I I do remember you guys were also in neighboring states like Arizona, but uh, did not realize the numbers uh, were, were that high right now. Yeah, and that's you know it's good that we're getting some visibility here. Uh, our goal is to obviously power all the states. You know, our mission here is to power the global cannabis economy. Mm -hmm. Right now, before we get global, we need to focus on our core states first. So we're in thirteen. We want to hit twenty by next year. Uh, but really, by uh, by Q2 of next year, we'll be in the top ten markets that matter. So any listeners that you have, especially ones that have connections to uh, operators in the top 10 markets, uh, you know, we're, we're here um, and we're ready to support uh, the growth of this industry. Yeah, and, and curious on, on new markets and, and new customers you're signing up in these new states, is that, so So let's say, you know, take Mass, since that's the most recent one. Um, it, it's a relatively mature market, you know, relative to other states. 
So there you're, you're more likely probably replacing uh, competitors. And then there'll be states like New Jersey, where is it sort of like more of a fresh start and then people are getting RFPs and considering several different POS solutions. And then how do you win when it's a competitive process like that? Yeah, uh, market dynamics matters, right? So we do very well in displacing existing competitors uh, in existing markets. In fact, uh, two thirds of our business is one on displacing an existing competitor. So we actually like uh, existing states, saturated states, especially if they're of a tier one or a high volume variety. You know, we certainly think Arizona, Michigan fit that bill, um, uh, increasingly Colorado, Massachusetts, et cetera. So those are states that we do well in. Now, given the tougher economic times um, in these days, the existing markets are also facing a lot of headwinds, especially in California yep. and Michigan, where we're seeing from our data about a 15% uh, same story year on year decline. Right, so operators are struggling, but that's balanced with what you mentioned earlier in newer states like Jersey, New York, and just along the eastern um, seawall, where there's a lot of hype. There's still access to capital; capital is being injected there. Uh, there's build out. There's just enough momentum where people are excited. It's it's bringing cannabis for for maybe the first time in the, from a legal lens into these markets and states, uh, and they need to establish the right workflows and the right baselines of operations, which comes with uh, a critical software like the point of sale. And, and then in terms of you know winning, is it sort of that scalability that you mentioned earlier? You can go and process 2,000 plus transactions, which especially like a New Jersey, um, they're certainly seeing those type of numbers daily. Yeah, I know we last met at Hall of Flowers, uh, which we power from our, from our system as well, and we powered over 10,000 sales in one day, and that's exactly right. So we can't predict the exact volume, we can't predict the actual real estate size, it might be as small as a 700 square foot, like our founding story, it might be as big as 7,000 square foot, but the actual uh, operations, um, really, what, ma what really matters is how you start your operations, right? You want to set the right footing. You want to be able to scale up to these crazy volumes or to, to these multi-locations or maybe span across multiple states. You want the right software vendor that's listening to you, that has your focus in mind. And for us, that's the retailer. Uh, and just be able to have the resourcing to grow with our operators. And, and then, you know, everyone has their own definition of a multi-state operator, but uh, how many of the, you know, call it tier one, tier two MSOs do you guys work with? Yeah, we have about two of them. Um, we don't support them in all their states. And it's part of our uh, real need for the Series C capital injection that we have is find the resourcing, um, put it back into R&D, and then really establish and be present in all the states that matter. So will we win all the tier one MSOs? We sure hope so. But the first step is getting uh, the product in the states that they currently operate in. And we're well on our way there. Right. So, so that makes sense. That's probably the, the pushback then. It's like if you're, you know, some MSO that's in 10, 15 states, trees has to be in all those 10 to 15 states before they can really consider and be comfortable with that. Yeah. And in yesteryear's, uh, the question would generally be like, prove it or or show me it and show me the kind of the trajectory that you're on without resourcing and funding, it's probably less believable. But now we have the capital and we double our state count in just one year. So it's a lot more believable these days. And then we think we're going to earn a lot more shots at just one state to start uh, and then eventually displace the rest of their uh, system across the states they operate in. 
And then what are they using today out of curiosity? So if, if you're CureLeaf, let's say, I mean, I don't know if there's any POS company that covers all the states that they have operations in. Like, are they just using multiple different POS? Yeah, some do. Some use Dutchy, some use Kova, some use Biotrack still, FlowHub, for example. Um, there are good competitors out there. I think Dutchies are the most formidable one. Uh, they raise the most capital in our space, and they do power a lot of the MSO tier ones. Um, and then the rest, the Covas, the flow hubs, the bow tracks, they're just finding enough uh, footing just to stay afloat, right? Some are going through, some are really good at the early market adoptions, um, but they're very vulnerable to being displaced as the operator and market needs evolve. Um, some are pushing out a new, new rewrite of their software, and that always causes headaches and pain points and, for us, opportunities to, to go displace. Um, you, you know, if I think about Dutchy as our biggest competitor, I think we just have a different philosophy, and then and and that's okay, right? Their philosophy is let's be all in one, let's be the marketplace, let's be seat to sale. Um, but the caution here is we're still very early in this industry. We're still in the early, let's call it third inning of this of this space. It's really hard to get everything right. It's hard to be in all states and get all of that right. It's certainly harder to be then also be a marketplace and be a seed to sell solution. And I think they're facing some realities now uh, and retailers are re uh, realizing maybe they do need a partner that has their best and sole interest in mind. And that's the approach we've taken. Right, no, that, that makes sense as a differentiator. And, and since we've touched on funding a few times, would love to kind of backtrack it to you know the, the trees fundraising journey. So um, you, you tell me here if the uh, public data isn't accurate, but your first round was $15 million in, in September 2018. Um, and then there was another equity round in September 2020 of $13 million. Uh, another one that was a, a pretty big announcement during Benzinga in Miami, which was April 2022, $51 million. And, you know, uh, I'll have you answer this after you tell me more about the journey, but that one's interesting. $51 million and you guys actually announced the post money valuation, which was 260. So you usually don't see that. So we'd love to kind of understand a bit more on that announcement as well. Yeah, um, maybe we'll just start with the Series C first and just go yeah. backwards from there. Uh, so we're very lucky to to have raised our Series C when we did, uh, right before the market's um, really gone uh, down, downhill. Uh, we announced uh, not only the $51 million raise, but we gave a valuation because we've, we thought that, you know, foundationally, we can justify that valuation, right? It's not over the top. It's not the 20 to 50x multiples you're seeing with the e-com and FinTech and other players, which all have come back down to earth. Um, foundationally, we're built on our bread and butter of SaaS, of our point of sale offering. We layer some payments on top of it, and we have you know, growth levers to come, especially having raised that round when we were only in six states. So the yeah. market is in front of us, right? Um, and that's what our partners saw uh, and, and put the money in, um, namely uh, led by large equity partners. They are, they are a New York growth-based uh, equity fund focused really on uh, the cross-section of just high-growth SaaS software plus fintech. Um, so they led our Series C, uh, and then Kane Partners joined another growth equity group, uh, and then a, a large name, the Synchrony, right? Basically yeah. a bank, but they also dabbled uh, and joined the round. So yeah, yeah. Josh all, and I uh, from from Synchrony, uh, we've actually known each other from our, our past VC lives, and, and he was actually for the first time at, at Hall Flowers uh, three weeks ago. So I, I don't know if you guys connected there, but yeah, Josh, when when I saw that announcement for Synchrony, which uh, I know Synchrony from powering like the Banana Republic credit card. Uh, it, it was definitely a, a surprise uh, name to see as part of that announcement. Yeah, yeah. Josh is uh, very supportive of us. 
um, it took a lot to get it over the, the hump, but we did. Um, you know, they are synchrony are a firm believer in the future uh, um, of this space. They're putting money early in because they want to learn and they want to ride along with us in any kind of uh, potential partnerships in the future. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really telling that we've been able to venture out of the general Canatech investor space, right? These are true growth equity partners, true bank partners, um, and that bodes well for the space in general. When you have these type of investors dabbling into the space, that's going to attract more and more capital in the future when some of the market uh, recovers uh, to further propel this industry forward. Yeah, and I think you probably need a, a mix though, right? Um, as your business, you would probably want a Canvas investor, and, and I agree with you, it is important as a Canvas technology company to expand outside of that, but that's probably helpful to sort of just BD, you know, get sort of that, that awareness. Like, for example, um, yeah, I spoke with like Surfside last week and, and they said it was really crucial for them to get Casa Verde Capital on the cap table because that gave them sort of this, this cannabis stamp of approval when an MSO or whatever larger size company is looking at Surfside, it's like, oh, they're backed by Casa Verde Capital. Like, I'll take that meeting. I, I know them. So it's probably a, a blend of the two, right? That's exactly right. So then let's go step, uh, take a step back for how we got to our A and B rounds. Mm -hmm. That was all Canada, thanks to our Canada investors, right? So intrinsic capital led both our A and our B um, and they're solely focused their fund in this space. Uh, they have a lot of connections are based in uh, PA or Philadelphia. Uh, so they're well-versed in the space. We have additionally on our cap table, the likes of uh, AFI Capital, um, also our uh, Wellcan Capital, I think they go by a new name now. But these are the really in the trenches uh, type of investors that know all the players and know all the partners that can be helpful connecting the dots or connecting us into new markets. And you definitely have to have the balance, right? You have new investors that apply just the, the typical high growth SaaS and FinTech lens. And then that meets the balance and the realities of our space, which our Canatech investors represent. And then, you know, and, and Intrinsic is, is definitely, you know, one of the larger funds in this space. Um, so, so you know, back when they invested initially in, in, I guess, September 2018, what sort of, you know, at that point in time gave them the conviction to lead the round and then follow on in, in the Series B as well? Yeah, we were a little nobody that got it done in, in a very tough market. Nobody was tackling California at the time. There's a lot of competitors. I mean, back then, they were talking about maybe 20 or 30 different options for point of sale, right? Everybody was dabbling a little bit, especially in a, in a during a time where it was still a gray zone for the California market. Um, but we came out of the gates uh, because, thankfully, to how we got our start um, in in. Uh, powering my co-founder's dispensary, then we actually built a software that attracted a lot of attention for these high, higher volume operators nearby. Um, and we were able to power them. Um, we're talking about the ones that do over 2,000 tickets a day. Um, and we were able to attract them in quick succession. There's some luck involved in all these journeys. One of our competitors mm -hmm. back then um, had an outage for, for about four or five days. So that gave us a, a chance, a little nobody, a chance to actually power them. And once they got in, they never stopped. They just steamrolled through a lot of the other uh, operators in the Northern California region. Yeah, no, it's like we were we were joking before we started recording that, you know, you, you're too busy because we'd hang out in like 2018 Hall of Flowers, but now you're you're much bigger. Uh, so, so you know, have less time to bounce around Hall of Flowers. And at 2018 Hall of Flowers, you were a customer and I was back there picking your products. So I was busy. Yeah, no. And then you're probably trying to get, uh, you know, Mad Men off Microsoft Nav at that point and still trying to talk. That's right. That was the last conversation I actually remember having with you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so, you know, what, what's interesting is, and you referenced this uh, from a, a product standpoint, so so payments uh, is recent, payments, you know, there's a lot of cannabis tech companies that all now sort of offer uh, a payment solution. Um, so so tell us more about what's different there from the, the trees payments solution. Yeah, I think it's a good thing too. You know, you mentioned uh, Microsoft Nav. Um, let's let's talk about that for, for a bit later, how we tackle the ERP as a general space, uh, general software space, and how they tackle um, and enter the cannabis sector. Uh, but on top of uh, topic of payments, you know, frankly, there's just not enough service providers, right, at scale. We have solutions here or there with ACH, with Pendebe, with Cashless ATM, but just around the, every other corner, you see then some negative news about cashless ATM not being kosher, legitimate, et cetera. But there are banks powering. There's a lot of noise, there's a lot of inbounds coming in that want to support this space. There's movement to further support the space from a FinTech aspects. And we think of ourselves as a good middleware layer or a conduit for these providers to enter. Because once they enter, they don't want to go sell door to door. They need a distribution partner like the point sale partner. Uh, and that's what we represent. So whether we think of it as, is it, is it re really card issuance and payments? That may be a little farther in the future. But if we think about just banking, lending, payroll, even insure tech, um, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of providers, right? And they want a way, an easier way, um, and maybe a de-risk way of entering this space. So we fully are positioning ourselves to, to be that conduit for these providers. And I think of it the same, you know, if I if I take the Microsoft Nav example earlier, uh, the same conduit for the traditional uh, ERP and other software vendors as well. Um, Menman was, you know, maybe we have to edit this out later, but was not yeah. successful in a lot of these ERP customizations. They cost millions of dollars. Uh, and maybe tens of millions of dollars, and especially in tougher, uh, you know, economic times, are you really investing all of your cash as a plant-touching business in software, or do you really just find the right partners and depend on your partners to connect the dots within your tech stack that is of maturity that's going to help you scale? And and increasingly, we're seeing the latter, which is, yeah, I might use NAV for GL, I might use Sage for GL, I might use it because I'm a public company and it does all of the financials right. But none of those softwares will do the day-to-day -day and second-to-second -second operations right at the retail. That's still the hardest thing to do, right? Because for those listening on your podcast, especially newer investors, the point of sale is not like a square or a clover point of sale. That's not the analogy. It's it's actually closer to your ERP light. We have to worry about the consumer, the sale, the product, the inventory, the reporting, the compliance. We touch all of that. Uh, and we have to touch all of that. And these changes happen almost second to second as you're making sales online and offline. And so who's going to actually have the time uh, and the patience to customize the ERP from the ground up to tackle this uh, segment of the industry? Uh, it just has not been successful. So rather, we want to invest in being an open e uh, ecosystem player and have these integration hubs that connect, whether it's to payment providers or to the ERP providers or to loyalty providers, anybody that has a mature tech stack that can help our retailers growth and really help us normalize this growth um, as well as these operators scale. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think, you know, I get a lot of questions around which ERP solution is, is best for the industry. And I think uh, that's another challenge we are still trying to solve for. Yeah, that's that's really hard to get right. Um, they, those, the ERPs will solve, again, the GL and the financials, right? But anything that's of a specific nuance, it's really hard. And some of those requirements change from operator to operator. They have their own secret sauce and workflows. So it's going to be dependent on the operator. 
Yeah, and, and you know, look, we moving on to you know, in referencing a bit of the CRC. I think when when that was announced, um, you guys mentioned M and A. I think we've seen some consolidation in the POS space, especially with with your competitors in, in Dutchie. Um, what's sort of been the the M and A strategy, and and you know what makes sense for trees to acquire? For us right now, the route uh, was largely for organic growth, right? We might make some small aqua hires here or there where we think we could uh, use to get faster in this organic growth. Organic growth for us is just more markets, more retailers, uh, and then more features for whatever the retailer, retailers need in their growth. Um, and so that's how we're going to uh, really allocate the Series C round. Now, on M&A, we want to stay opportunistic, right? If there are other point-of-sale players um, that really see some viability issues and increasingly that's the case in this landscape we may be opportunistic there um but for now it's really just staying focused on our own growth and our own needs got it and then you guys and you know i saw another interview had announced um year-over-year growth of 82 percent for 21 with a target goal of 50 percent year-over-year growth every single year um are, are you on track to, to hit sort of that goal this year yeah, we're on track to hit uh, anywhere from 40 to 60. I think the baseline changes, um, so it's increasingly more difficult. Uh, but well, what's really going for us um, in the future positively is just more states. More states equals more TAM, more doors to hit, uh, more displacement and, and, and new logo opportunities. Yeah, and on that point, you know, we talked a lot about replacing other competitive solutions or older solutions, um, but what, what does churn look like? Can, can you give us like an idea of churn for trees? Yeah, grocery essential for us is, is pretty good. It's about 80%. Um, so we're largely dealing with the, an SMB market. So that's churn there is always tough, right? Um, yeah. But for us at 80%, that's a pretty good mark for a, a largely SMB market. And is there a distinction, you know, obviously the, the churn is going to happen if you have one location or, you know, a few locations and, and certainly in some states, people are just shuttering doors and not even operating. So that will, will count in your churn. Uh, but are you segmenting that out from just someone choosing a, a different solution or is that kind of mixed in? Uh, it's, you know, the way we calculate the 80% gross retention is just by location door count, whether they closed whether they chose a different software provider, whatever the reason is, it's still a loss, it's still a churn. Uh, yep. So we mix it all in. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that because you can certainly game that by be saying that, hey, yeah. uh, these guys close their doors, it's not in our churn, it's closer to 85 to 90% or whatever it may be. So we should have asked our net retention. Our net retention is you know, 130 plus. So that's <laughs> there's always different ways to, to, be, to, to, to package yourself in front of investors. Yeah, no, no, certainly, but uh, appreciate you factoring in in all the the reasons for churn. For sure. Um, you know, another thing I, I want to touch on because you guys do see a lot of data. Um, you know, can you tell us more about sort of the data that you see, uh, whether any of that data is being sold, whether anonymously or not, and then you know after that, sort of what insights you're seeing in the markets you're operating in that that may be interesting or insightful or you know shocking to people. Yeah, we're not selling our data, first and foremost, right? Um, we're packaging our data back into our retailers' hands and analyzing not only their business, but maybe from a market inside perspective as well. So I can shed some light on the California market. I mentioned earlier that uh, same-store sales are seeing a 15% year-on-year decline, um, and that's across the board, but certain regions of California um, is suffering a lot more than others, namely San Francisco. Tourism yep. is down, people are moving out. We're seeing actually closer to 30% sales decline wow. in that area and then not returning, right? Um, you know, what, what are some causes of it? Other than the 
natural economic forces that you don't have control over, less spending power, um, the taxa the rampant taxation, the black market, et cetera. You know, one thing that we always are preaching internally and to our customers is now you have to worry about operations. You used to worry only about growth. Customers are always coming. You're opening up more stores. Every store is going to drive you a lot. Yeah, like, cool. like back in 2018, you didn't even need delivery because you're like, why do I need delivery? People will just it's come. Boom, 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 boom. That's right. And now, now you have competitors in delivery. Um, but by and large, it's really, are you actually looking at your operations, right? Are you actually managing our operations? Because yes, your same store sales are down, but not every store is suffering the same fate. A lot of the stores that carry way too many SKUs are the ones that suffer some of the, the worst declines. Um, and that kind of makes sense. If you're, if you're a consumer, you walk into a shop and there's 600 different products or more to choose from, that's a longer sales cycle, right? Uh, and a lot of these products may be over incentive with promotion and discounts that hurt your bottom line. So you may be still driving some good top line sales, uh, but you're not making money. And it's increasingly harder to make money. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that in the data. The delivery uh, aspect that you mentioned, that's rough. I mean, some of our, our, our churns are because delivery operators can't make money, right? It's not profitable. It's just way too costly, uh, especially with the other uh, economic conditions. Most of those are closing their doors. So delivery is really finding a hard time in the California market to stay afloat. Um, and then lastly, you know, certain stores, their transactions are still staying the same. Now their transactions or states, transaction account that is, are still staying the same because they're promoting a lot. They're discounting. They're getting customers to come in to bundle a lot of promotions together. So what that result in is a lot lower uh, average order value. So consumers may still be consuming the same amount uh, and come in through the same frequency, especially the uh, the most loyal customers, but they're buying less every single time they're coming from a pure dollar amount. Yeah, and, and I want to touch on that skew count. Um, you know, what's, is there you know, a certain one for, you know, certain store size? Um, is there a certain ones for different states? You know, the, the one that comes to mind, like I always have this number floating in my head of, you know, let's say 400 to 500 SKUs. Uh, if, if you take like Washington, you know, the, the crazy one that everyone always talks about in Seattle is like Sean Kemp's store, right? Like 2000 SKUs, like way too many. Like, like that, I know it's too many. I don't even need to look at the data. So is there a certain skew range that makes sense or is it kind of varies by state and county and city even? It's gonna vary uh, for your location and uh, the type of store layout you have, right? So in a 700 square foot store, uh, you're never gonna be able to carry 600 products. You're lucky to carry 200. Um, mm -hmm. So it also depending on your demographic, like what your customers actually come first time and what do they come to repeat every single time. Uh, the 80-20 rule always applies here. 20% of your products largely do uh, attract customers or get them to come back. So focus there first. Focus there from the point of actually carrying them and replenishing them on time. Um, and that that is the case, whether it's 200 or 600, right? Um, but the average that we see in their data is around two to 300 are the SKU counts that uh, result in a bit less of the store, uh, store, same store uh, decline in sales. Um, the, you know, if you look at them from a actual real estate and a, a store layout perspective, they have the average type. They're in about 1,200, 1,500 square foot shop. They're not huge, mm -hmm. um, but they actually really position the layout well. I mean, in your background, too, I'm not sure the, the podcast listeners will see this, but that's Wonder Bread in Los Angeles, a beautiful layout, right? You have sections. They have a section that shows their own brand and their own 
in-house uh, brand and products, and then the other section where they're showing just the third-party uh, uh, vendors. And that's a right mix. You want to attract customers to buy high-margin items, which you grow yourself or you distribute yourself. And then you also want to attract customers that's coming in from more than uh, known brand names. Uh, and the balance of the two with a lower skew count is always going to uh, result in more efficiency. So, so is the right way to think about it almost like a certain skew per square foot? So, you know, if it's 200, if you're a 750 square foot store, is it 400 if, if you're a 1500 square foot store? And, and I know it's not exactly linear like that, but, you know. It's roughly. not exactly linear like that, but that's one way to think about it. Even if you're thinking about it, you're already thinking about the right uh, questions. And then there's also the digital footprint to come, right? So some of the stuff, if maybe you have a really big uh, back of house um, storage area. Maybe there is a way to showcase more um, products, but only through online, through a digital mean. Yeah, and I think you know the the other factor into that equation is it's if people are doing slotting fees and you're paying for that physical shelf, right? And, and so while I might sell you on the digital menu, you're not paying me a monthly fee for the, the physical shelf. Right. Right. And retailers um, tend to forget the the most coveted space is at the register at the checkout. So start yeah. trying some of the, you know, allocate maybe 10 or 15% of your SKU count with trying new craft variety uh, products or new products in general, but try them in a way where they're getting the exposure and can make a quick decision if they're working or not, right? By placing them visually where uh, the customers are most likely to see them. Yeah, and I think, you know, totally agree in terms of that, like, you know, quick snap decision to purchase something. But I think in cannabis, I've seen more pre-rolls there, or maybe some people have tried like gift cards, but it's a little harder to just put like flour here or like edibles there, like right next to the checkout, right? Completely. But the best way to uh, get to the average order value that you want for those smaller price ticket items, and sometimes that's how you sample a new product. You may not invest 50% of your wallet on a brand new product, yep. you may invest that 10, 15% you have to try something new at a smaller unit count or a smaller packaging. Yeah, because I think I remember at, at MedMed, like we tested at one point in time, just having like a five or 10 milligram gummy. So you're not selling a whole $20 package of gummies, but yeah. you can you know, buy for a buck or two. And yeah, that, that, yeah that, that commitment's much easier for an impulse purchase. Exactly. So, so since we're talking a bit about brands, uh, would love to hear a bit more about brand trees. Uh, you know, you do provide the data there to brands uh, for insights and sort of decision making. Yeah, we've wrote that back. I mean, brand trees for us is largely a catalog. It's a global catalog, right? And the global catalog is you know, not only for brands to get their product content in its uh, consistent form across all retailers, but the retailers need it as well. Uh, imagine when you sign up as a new retailer or you're expanding to multiple locations, the last thing you want to do is re-enter your catalog information, mm -hmm. right, time and time again. So Brand Trees is really um, it, nowadays uh, just a product catalog. It's a, it's a global product catalog. Brands benefit because, again, the content is the same uh, and the naming of it is consistent across all retailers. Retailers benefit because they don't have to manually enter, but also for both parties, when you're looking at market insights and data in general, uh, it's to the point and it's uh, more trustworthy than a bunch of uh, data points that are misspelled and all over the place. And, and can you, you actually purchase off of that if, if you're a buyer at a retailer? No, not not today. No, you can't. Yeah, because that's going to be my question if you could, because then you guys are then kind of competing against like a, a leaf link or a leaf trade, right? No, we, we see those as partners, right? We're not a we're not a marketplace. We're not a B two B marketplace. But uh, the matter of fact, the matter of fact is, our retailers actually use this insights data to inform their purchasing decision. 
they're making a couple of extra hops or maybe a new browser tab to get into a leaf link to make those mm -hmm. purchasing. But that's part of our partnerships play. We want to better embed some of these partners into the natural flow of day-to-day -day activities. Right. So, so you would offer up suggestions similar to Amazon if it's, uh, hey, you should also carry this product or, hey, this is you know out of stock or hasn't been delivered. You should try this brand. Kind of, kind of like those kind of insights? Yeah, we want to make recommendations. We want to be prescriptive. We want to be helpful, but we don't also want to own that part of it either. Mm -hmm. We have the right partners out there. They're worried about that problem every single day. So we'd rather use a partnerships approach to fit that gap. Got it. Um, and, and then, you know, how do you view like weed maps or, or WM technology? Because one of the other solutions like a, a customer management. So is that like a customer CRM, which then competes against Sprout, which is one of their, you know, acquisition. Um, how, how you view competition against Wheat Maps there? Yeah, we're actually good partners. Um, they gave up their point of sale play some years ago. Uh, ever since then, we've been good partners. Uh, so they're bringing in customers and leads. You know, right now, as a as as far as the marketplace goes, Wheat Maps is still one of the few that truly has ROI and impressions. Uh, converting mm -hmm. into into sales, so we see we map, uh, maps as a good partner of ours. Um, some do use their loyalty solution, which used to be called Sprout, uh, but we're agnostic there, so we're not making one recommendation over the other. Uh, Alpine IQ Springbank still resonates depending on the geography. Yeah, so, so it seems like you, you guys obviously compete on the POS side, but for all the other solutions you offer, it's to just enable partners and you're integrated with a lot of different solutions to give the, the stack that a dispensary needs to operate. Well, even further, we're actually integrating with some competitors, right? Some competitors may be of the C2Sale variety. They don't have a very strong point of sale offering, but they do well on the cultivation side or on the distribution side. Uh, and whatever solves our retailer's problem, we'll make integration that are just the same. Got it. No, that that's that's great that, uh, you know, the retailer or the customer interest is, is sort of first and foremost, and then you guys that's figure true. out later on. And, and, you know, tell us more about, um, you know, any sort of innovations or, or things you're working on that may be rolling out. Uh, many. Um, well, we'll be at MJ Biz uh, showing and telling. So for those listeners, if you're at the Vegas conference in November, definitely come by. If you don't, we'll make, be making some press announcements with some of the latest and greatest as well, but they're right around the corner. So, so you want to give us a, a preview, just high level of, of uh, certain categories, or uh, you'll, you'll make people stop by the, the booth at MJ Biz? Yeah, it's of a fintech variety, it's of a data variety, it's of an integration variety, things we've been talking about thematically over this podcast, uh, but we're going to actually show it uh, at both at the conference, but soon enough rolling it out to our customers too. Got it. And and that makes sense. Uh, but but obviously uh no no sales there. So you don't have to work uh as the POS solution there also. That's right. No sales there. <laughs> um, you know, last question for you, John. Just you know, it's it's been a challenging environment here in, in cannabis. Uh you've been in it now six years. Trees has access to a lot of data and insights. Um, you know, give, give us a, a parting thought on sort of you know the environment that we're in and, and sort of um, you know, any words of wisdom from from your purview. Yeah, it's, it's tough times um, right now, even for us, it's staying focused. No matter how much resource you have, you got to stay focused on your core domain, your core customer. Uh, for us, that's retailer. But for many of us and some of our partners, uh, strategies have changed, right? Strategies have uh, changed, have been simplified. Everybody knows we have to hunker down. It's going to be some quarters, maybe years before the market rebounds. Depends on the market you're in, depends on the state. But nonetheless, uh, the future is still bright. The future is still uh, ahead of us. 
Um, we've been in a grind for me for six years. Day, I don't know how many years you you've been grinding. Uh, but... One less than you. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all in a grind together, right? So the the better we can support each other, the better we have a chance for this industry to flourish. No, I, I completely agree, and I think that's a, the awesome thing about Canvas. It's very much so community driven, uh, and you know your your buddies with competitors, and you integrate with competitors, um, and and we're all sort of you know, working towards a, a future that we all want to see. Yes, absolutely. Cool. Appreciate it, John. Uh, you know, look forward to seeing you in MJ Biz and, and seeing these new solutions you're rolling out. Thank you again for having me, Andy.